lives that want to apply. I pray that we would not be hearers only, but doers also. God, be glorified in this place as we seek to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So, how's the uh, third day of summer treating everybody? <laughs> hotter would be better. I could go for hotter. I'm, I'm, I'm done with rain, though. Is anybody else done with rain? I know, it's raining all the time. I feel like I moved to Oregon. What happened? <laughs> hey, if you got your Bibles with you, I invite you to open up. We are going to be in Joshua chapter 13 and 14 tonight, and we begin a a section in Joshua that deals with the inheritance. Um, The way it works is this. Joshua went into the promised land, (coughs) excuse me, went into the promised land, and he wiped out all the strongholds, the powerful positions, all the kings. Uh, and their armies he's going to take down and now as they come into the land joshua is going to by lots divide the the children of israel's inheritance now they're supposed to go into the land and they're supposed to then continue the battle push out the people that were in the land and secure it for for the lord and as their inheritance What occurs is basically they come into the land and they feel like all the work's been done for the most part. And we're tired of fighting and we're tired of going after it. So we're just going to sit back and rest. And what happens? Sooner or later, we got to deal with those things in our life. All those people, all those people groups in the land of Canaan point to you and I for those strongholds, areas of, of sin or of the flesh within our life. And we've got to deal with them, and we've got to deal with them continually and constantly if we're going to enter into everything that God has for us. So Joshua is going to cut the people loose. He's going to begin that inheritance in the next several chapters. That's what we'll be dealing with. And as we go, uh, there are several lessons that we want to be reminded of as we take a look at what the Lord did for them. So as we begin in chapter 13, it says, Now Joshua was old... And advanced in years. And just in case you're not, you're thinking that's just someone's opinion. It says, and the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years. <clears throat> God's one of those people who can get away with saying that. You are old and advanced in years. And there remains very much land yet to possess. So Joshua's about 100 years old right now. Caleb was a little bit younger than Joshua. Caleb's 85. So Caleb and Joshua, you remember, they're the only old-timers in the whole crew because all the rest of that generation perished as they wandered in the wilderness. But the two who believed God would deliver the land into their hands 
the Lord spared them, and they led the children of Israel into Canaan. Now, Scripture goes on, and he says to us, uh, again, (coughs) excuse me, the Lord says, there's still very much to be done. That's always the case. There's never a time when it is finished. There's always going to be something else, and we just got to settle that. On this end of, of our existence or our eternal life with Jesus Christ, on this earth, there is always going to be something else. So just settle that. Just realize that's how it's going to be fine. Then each and everything we face, we come before the Lord because the promise of the Lord to the children of Israel is the same as his promise to you. And that is everywhere you will put the sole of your foot, God will tear down the strongholds and give you the victory. Everywhere that you're willing to walk in faith and not by sight. Sometimes it doesn't all look good, right? And sometimes the battles didn't make any sense that Joshua fought. But nonetheless, God promised them and he promises us. Wherever you'll put the sole of your foot. Remember the picture here in Joshua is a picture of you and I learning to walk in the victorious Christian life. So I want to walk in the fullness of what God has for me. Going into the fullness of what God has for me, I have to realize there's another battle around the corner. There's another battle just waiting to be fought. Well, he goes on. He says, this is the land that yet remains all the territory of the Philistines and all that of the, of the Jeshurites from Sihor, which is east of Egypt, as far as the border of Ekron northward, which is counted as Canaanite, the five lords of the Philistines, the Gazites, the Ashdodites, the Ashkelonites, the Gittites, the Ekronites, and the Avites. From the south, all the land of the Canaanites and Mirah that belongs to the Sidonians as far as Aphek to the border of the Amorites. The land of the Jebelites and all Lebanon toward the sunrise. From Baal Gad below Mount Hermon as far as the entrance to Hamath. All the inhabitants of the mountains from Lebanon as far as the, uh, the brook Misrophoth and all the Sidonians. Listen, them I will drive out from before the children of Israel. Only divide it by lot to Israel as an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now therefore divide this land as an inheritance to the nine and a half tribes or to the nine tribes and the half tribe of Manasseh. And we have a a picture, we can throw that picture up, that gives us an idea of how they they settled. Can we dim a couple of the lights? Maybe the front one too. Cool. It gives us an idea of the division. Now tonight, primarily, we're going to be talking about Judah and the, the, the guys on the east side. The guys on the east side is Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. Remember, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, as they came into the land, said, we like it over here. We don't care about having an inheritance on the other side of the Jordan. So will you give this to us? And so that's where they settled. You see on the other side of the Jordan, another Manasseh. Manasseh, again, on the other side of the Jordan, rather large piece of land. Remember, the land was given to them based on population of the tribe. How big is the tribe? You remember, it's interesting, when Ephraim and Manasseh were being blessed by Jacob. Jacob came to Joseph and adopted Joseph's two sons, right? 
And he crossed his hands as he blessed them, and he gave the blessing to Manasseh. But Manasseh was younger. And Joseph, thinking his dad was getting a little senile, said, Dad, that's not, switch your hands. And Jacob said, what I have done, I have done, for the younger will serve, or the the older will serve the younger. The idea is Manasseh is going to be great. And we're going to see Manasseh, the size of that tribe, uh, substantially larger than Ephraim. Now, again, as we look at it, you see on on the west side, close to the Mediterranean Sea, all the land of Philistia, <coughs> as the Lord is laying out the land, basically he goes down south from Philistia, around the horn up into Edom and Moab, and then all the way on top above Manasseh next to Naphtali and Asher and on to the east. So as we look, that's the land that God's talking about. Now as he talks about it, he says, wherever you go, wherever you move, there's still much to be done. There's still these enemies that need to be dealt with. There's still these battles. So God said, I'm going to give you an inheritance. It was God's design. It was God's plan. And everybody got what God wanted them to have. Everybody got what it was that the Lord desired for them. So when we look at it, we want to understand that each tribe up there was responsible to possess their own land completely. Now, God has a high concept of personal responsibility and initiative. And we see it here. God said, I'll drive them out. Here's the land. Now, you gather your people and put your foot where I'm telling you to put your feet. (coughs) The children of Israel never really fulfilled that call, never really fulfilled what God wanted them to do. Now, as the Lord lays out this plan for them, this concern that he has for them, We too, you and I, we're going to be blessed by personally taking responsibility and initiative in trusting God to do what he has called us to do. If God's laid something on our heart, a direction that God wants us to walk, a plan that he wants us to fulfill, a ministry that he wants us to be a part of, we can tell him no. They did. And we can allow the the existence that we have to be like the existence of the children of Israel during the time of Judges. The time of the Judges, which we're going to study next, says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own heart. And what do we have? 400 years of misery. Children of Israel, forget the Lord, fall into bondage. As they fall into bondage, they cry out to God. God sends them a deliverer, a judge. A judge delivers them. They enter into a time of prosperity. Forget the Lord. Then they enter into a time of bondage. Cry out to the Lord. The Lord sends a judge. The judge delivers them. Once again, they call upon the name of the Lord until, through complacency, they're satisfied with where they are. And then they go into a time of bondage. Yeah, just like us. Just like us. It's just like the human condition. Now, the, the key in it all is learning, understanding that Wherever and however God is calling us, however God is speaking to you, if the Lord is laying something on your heart, you're never going to be satisfied with your relationship with God without stepping out in obedience and doing what God's called you to do. The good news is, (coughs) just like the children of Israel, God didn't say, you better figure out how to do it on your own, right? The Lord said, wherever you put the sole of your foot, I'm going to give it to you. 
If God's calling you to go share with someone, if God's calling you to step out and, and take something in, in children's ministry or to help with VBS or to ask about worship opportunities or to see about whatever, any of the bazillion opportunities that we have. We got men's studies, women's studies, celebrate recovery. I mean, there's something going on every single night of the week. So if you're looking for something to get involved in, there's lots of things to get involved in. But if you don't, if you just sit back and are satisfied with what you have, then what you have is all you're going to get. And you're going to do that roller coaster just like the judges, up and down, up and down, because you're not doing all that God's called you to do. We throw them lights back up and let's take a look at what God has for us as we continue. We want to be obedient. We want to do what God wants us to do. Keep in mind with the land. When God gives them the land, God's leasing it to them. God is the landlord, remember? And now Israel is the tenant. Before that, God was the landlord and the Canaanites were the tenant. And then Leviticus chapter 25, verse 23, God said, I'm throwing them out. It's my land. I'm throwing the Canaanites out and I'm bringing you in. But the concept, the agreement that God had with them was, obey me. The Palestinian covenant, the, the land covenant between God and Israel was not an unconditional covenant like Abraham's covenant. The Palestinian covenant was a covenant that if you, then I. If you obey, then I will leave you in the land. And you will experience all the... But if you don't obey me, just like they who were before you, I'll put you out of the land as well. And we know how that story goes, right? Because we know at least... Three times, they went into captivity to Assyria, the northern kingdom. <coughs> southern kingdom went into captivity to Babylon. And then the entire kingdom ceased to exist from 70 AD to 1948. So, God fulfilling his promise both to put them out of the land and he said he'd bring them back. He said he'd bring them back and once again begin to work in and through their lives. So we have nine and a half tribes that are on the east side of the Jordan River, the west side of the Jordan River. On the east side of the Jordan River, we have two and a half. How much does that make? That makes 12 tribes. Nine, 10, 11, and two halves make 12. But there's one tribe that doesn't have any inheritance. You remember who they are? Levi. So... We always say the 12 tribes of Israel, but really how many are there? 13 tribes. The 13 tribes, why are there 13 tribes? Well, we talked about it a little bit. When Jacob adopted Joseph's sons, Joseph becomes two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. When we look at the times when the 12 tribes are mentioned, a lot of times there's something for us to grasp out of who's left out. Because there's always going to be 12 named. But somebody is always missing. So, we, wanna, we want to, as we go through the study, recognize. As we go through, we're going to see, even as we get all the way to Revelation, Dan's missing. And there's a reason why Dan's missing. And we want to understand that. So as you study, when you come to the list of the 12 tribes, it is our habit to just say, holy cow, another big pile of names. Forget it. And we jump to where the names have, have stopped. But 
Every single verse, every single jot, every single tittle is there for us to be able to see there's a message. There's something that God's trying to get across to us. So we know we have 13 tribes, 12 that inherited the land and one whose inheritance was God Almighty. Well, he goes on in verse 8. With the other half tribe, the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses had given them, beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses, a servant of the Lord, had given them. From Arior, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the town that is in the midst of the ravine, and all the plain of Medeba as far as Dibon, all the cities of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the border of the children of Ammon, Gilead and the borders of the Jeshurites and the Malkathites, all Mount Hermon and all Bashan, as far as Salkah, and all the kingdom of Og in Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth and Edri, which <laughs> remained of the remnant of the giants. For Moses had defeated and cast out these. Now you remember Moses in that battle, Og the Bashan, and those kingdoms that were there on the east side, we saw the giants again. The same giants that we see in Genesis chapter 6. In Genesis chapter 6, there are two things that we know. We know that something occurred which created a beings or beings on the planet that God wasn't very happy about. He brought the flood and wiped it out. But the scripture says that they were here during the flood and what also after. And while you're studying that and while you think you've got it all solved in your mind, don't forget that God says that Noah and his sons were perfect in their generations. Why did he tell us that? He's telling us that to let us know that whatever there was of the giants wasn't in Noah and his kids. So the idea that, that whatever created the giants passed down to Noah, who survived the flood and then continued after the flood, doesn't work. So whatever occurred to create the Nephilim, the Bible says the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took them. By the way, that word took is a violent word. They went and took of all whom they chose. <laughs> and their children became the Nephilim, the fallen ones. Or as the Septuagint translates, the giants. We don't understand how all that works, and it really doesn't make any difference. The point is, it occurred, and they were frightful, and they were big. Agabashan had a bed 13 foot long. He's a big fella. And Moses and the children of Israel defeated their giants. The giants that were before them. Exact same picture of you and I and the giants that we face. Whether it is sickness, whether it is finance, whether it is you know legal issues, doesn't matter. We all face giants, right? Moses defeated his giants because the Lord fulfilled a promise. Wherever you set the sole of your foot. We know there were giants after that because we know... A little fellow that was a shepherd boy fought one, right? David, and the guy's name was Goliath. We're going to see some other giants tonight. So whatever occurred, occurred again, and enabled there to be those uh, giants again after the flood was finished. <laughs> Scripture doesn't tell us why or what took place, but it lays out for us that the giants were both there where Moses fought them and in the promised land. 
where Joshua went, and we know where Caleb went, right? And we know that the Philistines had at least five giants because you had Goliath and his four brothers. So as we take a look, I want you to look again at verse 13. It says, Nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Jeshurites or the Machathites, but the Jeshurites and the Machathites dwelt among the Israelites until this day. So what's the big deal? What's the big deal if we don't finish what God's laid out for us? <coughs> if we don't push them all the way out of the land, if we don't deal with it? Well, let me tell you a little story. There's this guy named David who becomes a king. Remember the giant killer? And one of David's wives is from Jeshur. Jeshur, that's the Jeshurites that were supposed to have been driven out of the land. She has a son for David. Want to guess what his name was? Absalom. Absalom was the son that did what? Rebelled against David, tried to kill his father, and take the kingdom. Way back at Joshua, hundreds of years before David, God said, push them all the way out. Don't let them dwell among you. See, God has the ability to see the end from the beginning. Would it have saved heartache down the line? Absolutely it would have. But they were disobedient. And in their disobedience, there is always consequence. And the consequence didn't necessarily affect the ones who didn't do it. Right? Sometimes the consequence affects those further down the line. You and I, sometimes we think, I got away with it, man. I did it. I didn't do what God told me, but it all worked out okay. Well, who's paying? Our kids? Our grandkids, great-grandkids, none of us, if we knew what was going to happen down the line, would leave something undone that God had called us to, to finish. But here, as we go through the names, we know that through Jeshur comes Absalom. Through Absalom comes a great rebellion that divides the nation of Israel. And how many people died? How many people lost their life because of the unwillingness to obey God and completely do what God was telling them to do. Now, verse 14 is a phrase that we're going to see often. Here's the phrase. Only to the tribe of Levi he gave no inheritance. The sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance, as he said to them. So here we're talking about the provision that's going to happen for the priests. Where do they get their provision? They're not allowed to, to own land. They're not going to work the land. They're not going to do things like the other guys did because they're supposed to be focused wholly and completely on obeying the Lord. Now, we know at the time of Christ, it wasn't that way anymore, right? At the time of Christ, the Levites were rich. They were wealthy. They were ripping people off. Trading the, they had to trade in their sacrifice and buy a new one. Remember? Jesus cleared the temple. He went in and chased all those people out who were ripping, ripping off people, bringing their sacrifices to the Lord. <laughs> so later on, that's going to change. But as the Lord lays it out for them, the tribe of Levi, their inheritance is going to come through the Lord. And their provision is going to come through the Lord. And if there's any of the 12 tribes that we resemble as believers, it's Levi. Our inheritance is the Lord. 
Our provision comes through the Lord. And if we live a life wholly devoted unto God, we will not be ashamed. That's what the Bible says. If we live a life wholly devoted to God, Paul would say, I do not consider it worthy to be compared the present suffering with the glory which shall be revealed in us when we see Jesus Christ. Paul says, not even worthy to be compared. What else did he say? Everything I've ever gained, I count it all as loss for the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Holy following the Lord and finding our inheritance and our provision in him. Now Moses had given to the tribe of the children of Reuben an inheritance according to their family, uh, according to their families. Again, remember, all the inheritance and the size of the inheritance is based on population. Where did they get those population numbers? From the book of Numbers, when we talked about the census that they had received. So based on that census, that's how much land uh, the children of Israel would receive. And as we go on, their territory was from Ariar, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the city that is in the midst of the ravine, and the plain of Mediba, Heshbon, and all the cities that are in the plain, Dibon, Bamoth, Baal, Beth, Baal, Meon, Jehazah, Kedemoth, and Mephoth, <coughs> Kirjathame, Sabmah, Sereth, Sharhar, on the mountain of the valley, Beth Peor, and the slopes of Pisgah, and Ben Jeshimoth. All the cities of the plain and all the kingdoms of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, whom Moses had struck with the princes of Midian, Evi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, Reba, who were the princes of Sihon dwelling in the country. Verse 22, the children of Israel also killed with the sword Balaam, the son of Beor, the soothsayer, among those who were killed by them. So he's talking still about the battles that took place on the eastern side. And he's saying, listen, as we look at these battles, don't forget, that's where Balaam was killed. You guys remember Balaam, right? We read about Balaam in Numbers. <coughs> Balaam, the soothsayer, was a guy who heard from the Lord. We know for sure he heard from the Lord. He was hired from the enemy of the children of Israel to come and curse the children of Israel. And he went before the Lord and said, God, what should I do? And God said, don't go. And Balaam started counting the money that they were promising to give him. It's a lot of money, Lord. Please, God, please let me go. Please let me go. You remember last time we talked about Hezekiah? Hezekiah, who was supposed to die, but he begged the Lord for 10 more years. And Jeremiah, and in the end result is we end up with a, a lot of tragedy taking place because of the choices that they made. Well, Balaam goes. The Lord says, hey, do what you're going to do. On his way, <coughs> as he's riding his donkey, the, the angel of the Lord stands before him and, and blocks his way. Remember, the donkey won't move, and he's beating the donkey, and the donkey talks to him. Why are you beating me? And Balaam talks back to the donkey, because you're not going. And then the Lord opened his eyes, and he saw the angel with his sword drawn. And the angel said, your donkey just saved your life. That's the same as saying, the donkey is smarter than you. And so, the Lord said, listen, you've already chosen to go. So, only say what I tell you to say. Do you think when Balaam was making all those decisions, he realized that in the book of Joshua, we would read about him dying with the enemy? 
Do you think he thought back then when he was going to make that big payday? I was finally going to make some money, man. I was finally going to be set for life. Do you think he thought that he was going to sell out and just, for the love of money, reject the God who spoke to him, who showed him an angel, who stopped him on the path? But you see, he was not willing to be faithful to what God was saying. God was saying, Balaam, just don't go. Just stay here. Forget about all that. But Balaam, what was the driving force for his life? Money, greed, cash. I can make some money, man. You can't believe they're going to fill my house with gold. So he ended up moving in with them. When he went, every time he tried to curse the children of Israel, you remember what happened? Blessings came out. Of those blessings, is there anything important, any important prophecies? Yeah, he prophesied about the coming of Messiah. He's the one who prophesied. A guy who really wasn't being very obedient to the Lord. But God said, when you go, only say what I tell you to say. And every time he tried to curse him, he couldn't curse him. So (coughs) he told the king what to do. Here's what you do. Dress up all your young ladies real pretty and send them down to the young men. And have them have relationships with the young men. And when they're in their bedroom, have them open up their their bags and show them their gods. And when you do that, the children of Israel will be smitten by God. And that's what he did. He made a choice a little bit at a time, right? A little step, a little step, a little step. Pretty soon he's way off track. And he died with the enemies. A guy who really heard from God. Not a guy who supposed he heard from God. A guy who really heard from God. Who had a face-to-face encounter with an angel. Who felt the power of God move through him as he prophesied. Died an enemy of God among God's enemies. Because his heart was set here. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 is going to tell us Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth eats and rust destroys and thieves break in and steal. He says, lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven, where moth does not eat, where rust does not destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. What does that mean? Don't live your life for what you can achieve here for yourself. Live your life wholly devoted to to God for what you can do for him. And what does he promise? We're sending things, treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven. Things that matter. Things that last. Living our life here for that which really makes a difference. That's what God's calling us to. That's a call to a, to a radical faith. That's a call to a, a radical existence with the Lord. Not just another you know, day at the office. But really doing what God's laying on your heart to do. Well, Jackie, God doesn't speak to me. Well, go spend some time with him. Open up the word. Tell the Lord I'm going to read the word till you speak to me. You'd be amazed how quick it'll happen. Open up the word of God and ask the Lord to guide you and lead you. But the key is this. When God speaks to you, be obedient to what he says. Because the more we turn a hardened heart toward the Lord, the deafer we become and pretty soon we don't hear him at all 
just like Balaam. Pretty soon, we don't have anything, any type of a relationship like the one we had at one time. Now, verse 23, the border of the children of Reuben, (coughs) excuse me, was the bank of the Jordan. This was the inheritance of the children of Reuben according to their families and cities and their villages. Moses also had given an inheritance to the tribe of Gad, to the children of Gad according to their families. Their territory was Jazer, all the cities of Gilead, and half the land of the Ammonites as far as Eror, uh, which is before Rabbah, and from Heshbon to Ramoth, Mizpah, Betanim, and from the Mahanaim to the border of Debir, and in the valley of Beth Haram, Beth Nimrah, Sukkoth, and Zaphon, in the rest of the kingdom of Sihon, king of Heshbon, with the Jordan as its border, as far as the edge of the Sea of Chinneroth, on the other side of the Jordan eastward. Now everybody remembers the Sea of Chinneroth is what? Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee. So they're on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now as we go on, uh, this is the inheritance of the children of Gad according to their families, the cities, and their villages. Moses also had given an inheritance to the half-tribe of Manasseh. It was for half the tribe of the children of Manasseh according to their families. Their territory was from Mahanaim, all Bashan, all the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, all the towns of Jer, as far as Bashan, 60 cities, half of Gilead, Ashtaroth, Edrai, cities of the kingdom of Og and Bashan, were for the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, for half of the children of Machir, according to their families. These are the areas which Moses had distributed as an inheritance in the plain of Moab on the other side of the Jordan by Jericho eastward. (coughs) Lesson number one as we look at this chapter, is this for you and I. Do not become a borderline believer. Because that's what these guys were. God said, I have so much more for you. And they said, this is all I want. They were borderline believers. We want to enter into the inheritance that God appoints for us and rejoice in it. Listen, Scripture says in Psalm 47.4, He will choose our inheritance for us. The excellence of Jacob, whom he loves. But Manasseh, half-tribe of Manasseh, Reuben and Gad, they didn't want God to choose their inheritance. They wanted what they wanted. They stayed on the side that they stayed on. And throughout history, they're going to suffer for it. What do we see in this? Don't miss the fact that what we see is human responsibility and freedom of choice. Right? We know that God wanted them to cross the Jordan, didn't he? But they said, we want to stay here. And what did God let them do? He let them stay. We see that God doesn't violate their free will, human responsibility. Hey, we want to stay here. God says, okay, you stay there. There's better for you, but that's it. You're you're going to stay on the borderline, and you're never really going to experience everything that God has for you. The will of God, what we want to understand is the will of God is an expression of the love of God, and it's always the best for us. Think about that. The will of God is an expression of love of God, and it's always the best for us. Sometimes the will of God is that you get cancer. 
Sometimes the will of God for you is that you go through very hard and, and difficult times. But the will of God is always an expression of the love of God, and it is best for you. In it, as we finish the race that God's given us to run with joy, we, like Paul, will be able to say, I fought the good fight of faith. I finished the race. I kept the faith. I did what God has called me to do. And it will always have been the best for you and all those who will come after you. But it's not about us. And that's where we have the struggle. The struggle is when we realize that the will of God is not about us. Now we know Jeremiah 29, 11 is true. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. The will of God is not evil. It's never meant for our destruction. But it's not always easy. It's not always pleasant. But it is always good. It is always for our best. <clears throat> and when we realize that, it takes us one step closer to being wholly devoted to the Lord. Whatever it is, whatever comes through the door next, whatever needs to occur in my life, accepting it from the hands of God and pressing into Him <clears throat> for the strength to overcome, knowing that wherever you put the sole of your foot, He's given it to you. He'll pull down the strongholds. He'll give you the strength you need to walk the road that God's calling you to walk. He just wants us to be obedient and to do it. So we don't want to be a borderline believer. We want to be those who are going to live wholly and completely for the Lord. Verse 33, but to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance as he had said to them. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance. You know, the very cool thing is, Scripture lays out for us that not only is God our inheritance, but we are his prize. We are what he wins. And we are the reason why he came. The love that he had for us. That concept of how much he loves us, how much he's willing to do, and how far he's willing to go to have a relationship with us. All we need to do is turn toward him in the slightest. And God will meet us in that place. We want to be able to do that. We want to have all that God has for us. Chapter 14. These are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan. <coughs> which Eliezer the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers and the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. So... Joshua and Eleazar supervised the casting of the lots, and God guides it. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses, for the nine and the half tribe. For Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half tribe on the other side of the Jordan, but to the Levites he had given no inheritance among them. So, that's the third time so far in two chapters that God said, Levi has no inheritance, their inheritance is God. By the way, Levi has no inheritance. Their inheritance is God. You and I have no inheritance. Our inheritance is God. It's Him. And if He's not the reason why we do what we do, if we're hoping for, you know, wealth or riches, we're being fooled. 
He is our inheritance. He is the key to the spiritual blessings that we have already in the heavenlies reserved for us according to Ephesians 1.3. We want to be able to experience all of those things that God has for us. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and they gave no part to the Levites in the land except cities to dwell in with their common lands for their property, uh, for their livestock and their property. As the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Again, four times. Levi has no inheritance but God. Levi has no inheritance but God. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me and Kadesh Barnea. He says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. So we know that Caleb was 40. We also know that Joshua was 15 years older. So Joshua was 55 when he went out to spy out the land. He goes on to say, Now I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. What does it say? But I wholly followed the Lord my God. Wouldn't you like to be able to say that? But I wholly followed the Lord my God. Because Caleb said it. And he's not just going to say it once. And by the way, God's not going to argue. What does that mean? Listen, it is possible to live your life wholly following the Lord your God. Meditate on that a minute. It is possible to live your life wholly following the Lord your God. The first person who said that Joshua and Caleb wholly followed the Lord their God, do you know who it was? God. So we can take it for what he said, right? It is possible to live a life that way. In verse 9, So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot is trodden will be your inheritance, and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. That's twice. Two verses. Two for two. And now, (coughs) excuse me, and now behold, The Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years. So it's been 45 years since Kadesh Barnea. So he is how old? 85. Just in case our math is off, he's going to tell us. Ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. So see, your math is still up to par. And yet I'm as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then... So now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. I want you to listen to verse 12. Because to me, it's one of the most important things you can read in the Old Testament. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you have heard in that day how the Anakim were there, that the cities were great and fortified. And it may be that the Lord will be with me and I will be able to drive them out as the Lord 
said. Now, here we got Caleb, 85 years old, spent his whole life wholly following. If anybody earned a break, it would be him, don't you think? Hey, you know what, Caleb? Just get yourself a nice little island somewhere on the beach. You know, a chair, an umbrella, one of them drinks with a little umbrella in it. Just kick back. Have a drink. Chill. But Caleb says, I'm just as strong as I always was, so I want you to give me the mountain where the Anakim are. The Anakim is another word in the Old Testament for the giants. Everyone was afraid of the Anakim. Nobody was asking for the land where the Anakim were. Nobody was saying, I want the Anakim, let us fight the Anakim. We're really excited about fighting the Anakim. But Caleb, who's 85 years old and spent his whole life in war and battle and done all the stuff that he's done, he says, I want that mountain. I don't want it easy. And he says, the Lord will be with me. And he'll drive out the Anakim. And he did. He did. Caleb, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And as we look at the life of Caleb, don't forget these two things. Holy follow the Lord as God with all his heart. And he fought battles until the day God took him home. And he was happy to do it. And I think... When we get that settled in our mind, we will experience the joy of the Lord as our strength. Folks, for a long time, I was looking for a break. I just, somewhere down the line, it's going to get easier, right? Somewhere down the line, it's going to get smoother. Somewhere down the line, things will slow down. Somewhere down the line, something will just pile on top of the next thing. How many of you have realized that that someday it doesn't come? Yeah, that day don't come. I'll tell you what that day don't come encourages me in. That day don't come until I see Jesus face to face. Because when I see him face to face, he says, enter into your master's rest. Because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of our rest. The battle is over. Because when he comes back in Revelation 19, he doesn't need us. <clears throat> we get to kick back. Maybe we'll, he'll be riding a white horse. Maybe we'll be riding lazy boys. I don't know. <laughs> but he doesn't need us. He doesn't need us at all. He takes that battle by himself. All the armies of the world that have gathered there in the plains of Megiddo and Armageddon. So he doesn't need us. So what do we, what do we grasp from that? Listen, it's possible to live your life wholly following the Lord your God. And until we do that, we will be in the judges. Are you guys with me? Until we learn to wholly follow the Lord, like Caleb and Joshua, we're destined for the book of Judges. 400 years of up and down misery. Because the children of Israel would not allow God to be king. For in those days there was no king in Israel. Who was supposed to be their king? God. They were a theocracy. Until they went to Samuel, the last judge, and said, Hey, we want a king like everybody else. Until that time, it was God. Speaking through his prophets, directing the people. 
speaking through his presence, speaking through times of drought and times of plenty, telling them, hey, we're on track. Hey, you're off track. Get back on track. Repent. Let's go. It's possible (coughs) to wholly follow the Lord our God, experience true joy even in the midst of adverse circumstances. James, when he writes his book, he says what? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials and temptation. Why did James say that? Does he know what he's talking about? James, the brother of the Lord? Yeah. Yeah, they killed him. He knows what he's talking about. What did Paul say? He said, I don't consider this present suffering worthy to be compared with the glories that will be revealed when I see Jesus Christ face to face because nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Paul said, I count everything as dung, garbage, rubbish, worthless, except for my knowledge of Jesus Christ. And when he prayed for the church, what did he say? He prayed that they would grow in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of, of his suffering, being conformed unto his death. But Paul had joy. James had joy. They experienced full and rich lives. Listen, because what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount is true. What Jesus said in his teachings is true. If you desire to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life, For my sake, you'll save it. If you live your life for self, it's going to be a waste. But if you live your life in service of the king, it will have incredible value. And no one will be disappointed. We want to understand that lesson of Caleb. And we want to learn from what Caleb has to teach us. So the scripture says in verse 13, Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron used to be Kerjath Arba. Why? Because Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. So Caleb just didn't go fight just some close to giants he fought the best of the giants and we know he whooped them why because he changed the name of the city to hebron he used to be called (coughs) kurjath arba after the old guy he was the best they had but he was small potatoes to the lord god gave the victory then the land had rest from war caleb went to his father's in peace. Certainly a a challenge to you and I. Moses, Joshua, Caleb, over and over and over again, we're going to see the same thing. Hey, we are in enemy territory. Strap up your armor, put on the full armor of God, and let's get busy. You won't be disappointed in the life you live for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Why don't you stand up? Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word, God. I pray that your word would find fertile ground within our hearts to take up root and grow. That we would desire (coughs) above all things, Lord God, to just know you are who you said you are. You will do what you said you will do. All we have to do is make the choice to wholly follow the Lord our God. And you will give it all to us, Lord. Everything that we desire. Everything that you want of of us to accomplish in this life. The strongholds you'll tear down. The victories you will give. So God, make us willing in these last days, in a country that has rejected you, in a country that wants to boast about no longer being under God, that we've grown beyond all of that. So we'll just mute that out. We're going to leave that out. We're going to reject all the things that ever made this country special. But God, you have called us to be salt. And salt means that corruption cannot spread as long as we are salty. And you've called us to be light, and light will not let the darkness overcome it. As long as it is shining forth by the power of he who is the light of the world. So God, do your perfect work in us and through us as we seek to honor you in everything we do. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close with a word of worship. Invite you guys to hang out and worship together with us. And then I'm pretty sure we got chocolate chip cookies. No? We got something out there? I ate them all? When people don't... I'm sorry. If people don't eat all the chocolate chip...